Howdy, folks. We have a rare, special extra episode of the show this week. Why? Well, because I actually bothered to read the entirety of Bernie Sanders' capitalist money grab. It's okay to be angry about capitalism by Bernie Sanders. This is sponsored by ExpressVPN. So um, this book, it's bad. It's a bad book. It's a bad book, not only because it's quite boring, but also because it's filled with terrible ideas. And so today we're going to go through it. And the reason we're going to go through it is because somehow this career useless person, this elderly socialist who's never held a real job, literally never his entire life held a real job, a person who was so lazy, he was once kicked off a commune after three days. This guy has somehow become one of the most prominent voices in American politics. He's the, he the inspiration for the squad. He is the new movement across America. He's the guy who nearly took the nomination from Joe Biden in the 2020 Democratic primaries. And his new book is basically just a long yelp of rage against the status quo. There are a bunch of themes in this book. We're going to go through a lot of this book today because I think it's important for you to understand the case for democratic socialism as made by Bernie Sanders. First of all, he never really uses the word socialism. He doesn't like using the word. He uses it like a couple of times in, in different contexts, but he never uses the word because even Bernie, who really goes out there on TV and says it a lot, doesn't want you to think that the alternative to capitalism would be government nationalization of services, which is mostly what Bernie has called for historically. He also never wants you to think about the possible downsides of his preferred policies. Instead, it's all about the possibilities. We're going to go through a few themes here in his book. The, the first and most prominent theme in his book is that things that are bad in life, all the bad things in life, capitalism is to blame. Now, he never really defines capitalism, which the way that we define it typically means private property freely exchanged, goods and services freely exchanged in a legal system that guarantees the integrity of that private property. That's typically how we think about free markets. Bernie never bothers to define capitalism because to do so might force him to reckon with the premises of capitalism. Namely, you have a right to your own labor. You have a right to your own property. You have a right to freely exchange those things. But he never has to deal with that because for Bernie, you don't have those rights. Those rights are absolutely irrelevant to Bernie Sanders People like Bernie are going to make the decisions about what happens to those, those things. So instead, the first and most prominent theme of his book is everything that is bad in life can be chalked up to capitalism. You have a blister on your foot, that's capitalism. The guy next door to you is poorer than you, that's capitalism. A bird fell out of the sky and simultaneously crapped on your car and hit your car with its thudding body, capitalism. All of it's capitalism. So you see it like from the earliest points of, of the book, right? Literally, the... On page three of, of his crap book, it's okay to be angry about capitalism, Bernie Sanders writes this, quote, here is the simple, straightforward reality. The uber-capitalist economic system that has taken hold in the United States in recent years, propelled by uncontrollable greed and contempt for human decency, is not merely unjust. It is grossly immoral. Now, there are a lot of embedded assumptions in even a statement like that. First of all, do you think that an uber-capitalist economic system has taken hold in the United States in just the last few years? Has the United States grown markedly more capitalistic in the last several years? We have tens of thousands of pages of regulations that are issued every single year. We have one of the world's most progressive tax systems. We have extraordinary social welfare benefits that are available. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. Those are just the federal programs. And you have tons of state programs as well. The notion that America is some sort of unbridled, capitalistic, John Galt-like utopia for, for libertarians is nuts. And it certainly has not become more so in the past few years. Not under Joe Biden, who's been transformatively a big spender and a big regulator. Or Barack Obama, who's transformatively a big spender and a big regulator. 
or by the way, under Donald Trump, who spent a crap load of money. If you want to look at the spending habits of the United States, which correlate pretty highly to government involvement in the economy, look at the fact that since Bill Clinton, we have literally doubled the federal debt under every succeeding president. And we're, we're getting ready to do that like again, right now under Joe Biden. So you have to start from the premise that everything bad in life is because of the uber capitalist system that has emerged in the past few years, which of course is just historic nonsense. It's, it's nonsense. We are significantly less capitalistic now than we were in say 1890 or 1920, or for that matter, 1940, or for that matter, 1950, or for that matter, 1980. Okay, these supposed capitalist excesses of America. Okay. Then he talks about his moral values. So where is moral values, right? He has no history, but he talks about his moral values. Quote, there are moral values that should be guiding Americans into the future and about which we should be very clear. Greed is not good. Massive income and wealth inequality is not good. Buying elections is not good. Profiting from human illness is not good. Racism, sexism, homophobia, and xenophobia are not good. Wars and excessive military budgets are not good. The simple truth is that an unfettered capitalism is not just creating economic misery for the majority of Americans. It is destroying our health, our well-being, our democracy, and our planet. Okay, so this is like low IQ left-wing demagoguery. So if you don't agree with him, with his assessment, that capitalism has impoverished our planet and destroyed our health and our well-being, because fact check, it hasn't. Capitalism has led to the greatest uptick in life expectancy in world history. It has led to the greatest spread of prosperity in world history. You can look at a, at a chart of global GDP, and it basically looks like this, and then it hits the free market era, and boom, it just goes straight up. But according to Bernie, I guess it was communism that did that or something. In any case, he doesn't bother, again, with any sort of historic analysis here. He doesn't even bother to acknowledge the goods that capitalism has done and say that there are downsides, which would actually be a reasonable point. Instead, he says that if you support capitalism, it's because you support greed or massive income and wealth inequality or buying elections or profiting from human illness, racism, sexism, homophobia. You know, again, this is all part of his first theme, which is everything bad in life is capitalism. And of course, this means that what we have to do is reject it. It's time to reject, he says, conventional wisdom and incrementalism. No more conventional wisdom, no more incrementalism, nothing. We're just going to go for broke, gang. It's time to fundamentally rethink our adherence to the system of unfettered capitalism and to address the unspeakable harm that system is doing to us all. Well, first of all, I don't see the unspeakable harm that that system has apparently done to Bernie Sanders, who, as I say, has been a career useless person his entire life and who yet owns three houses, including a lake house. So um, seems like, like that dude, uh, here, here's what unfettered capitalism meant to Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is currently 81 years old. He has not held a job, a real job, his entire life. And he is worth millions of dollars. Oh my gosh, the, the, the un, unspeakable harm. This brings us to theme two of the book. And it's, you know, connected with theme one. If theme one is everything bad in life is capitalism, theme two is good, good stuff just magically exists. It just magically exists. It's just there. It's just there. We don't know why. It just happens. Because here's the thing. A real critic of capitalism, and there are many, there are people on the right like Sora Bamari, for example, and there are people on the left like Slavoj Žižek, right? There, there are people who actually are serious thinkers. Bernie is not one. Who say capitalism provides lots of goods and services. It creates more technological innovation, but there are downsides. The downsides may be in terms of individual fragmentation or community social fabric breaking up, or whatever, right? Those are critiques. I may not agree with a lot of those critiques, but they are legitimate critiques. Those are critiques made by people like Joseph Schumpeter, who was an advocate of capitalism. Bernie doesn't make any of those critiques because, again, this is dumb people, democratic socialism. So the first theme is I hate the status quo and everything that's the status quo is capitalism. The second is all the good stuff that's around you. Because you look around your life, you say, yeah, there's some bad stuff. Like I have the blister and the bird is falling from the sky and all that. 
But then there's also some pretty good stuff. Like I have the cell phone right here. I have a computer in front of me. I have a house. I have a car. I live way better than my grandparents did. Like way, way better than my great-grandparents did. I live better than my, my parents did. I mean, let's be frank about this. Your living standard today in 2023 is significantly better than your parents' living standard was in 1990. You have better stuff. You do. I know people have told you that's not true. Take a look at the devices your parents were using, like a Walkman, and think to yourself, and no cell phone, and think to yourself whether you would trade places with your parents, economically speaking, in 1990. The answer is most likely not. Okay, but that would require Bernie to acknowledge that capitalism generates these goods and services. After all, he has already said, we live in the most uber-capitalist era of all time, which means that all the good stuff around you, where did that come from? According to Bernie, it just magically appeared. There was a wizard, and the wizard came and went, and boom, all the good stuff was there. Nothing to do with capitalism. And so this connects with his belief that people who are rich didn't earn their wealth, right? Everything just magically appeared. It was like how God created the universe in the Bible. Bernie spoke and there were billionaires and there was good stuff and they were totally disconnected or cap rather capitalism spoke and there were billionaires and there was good stuff, but the good stuff had nothing to do with the billionaires. It was just magically there. So he says, quote, as we saw more clearly than ever during the pandemic, it is not the oligarchs who are essential. So he, he has this whole thing about the billionaire class. He says, billionaires should not exist. Direct quote, billionaires should not exist. And he says, the United States cannot afford to support a billionaire class that takes far more from this country than it gives back. Wait, hold up. Is the United States supporting the billionaire class or is the billionaire class supporting the United States? Who pays the taxes? The United States doesn't pay the taxes. The United States is a government. The United States seizes money from some people and then uses it to the benefit, presumably of all in the best possible scenario or to the benefit of a specific few or a group of people that Bernie likes. But the basic premise, which is that the United States supports billionaires and that billionaires take more than they give back. By the way, that is not remotely true. That is assuming that billionaires gain their wealth by literally going into somebody's house and seizing the wealth. The way that billionaires become billionaires typically is they provide goods and services on a voluntary basis that a crap load of people like to use and participate in. As far as the notion that oligarchs and billionaires, these are, these are not the people that actually contribute during the pandemic. It was your delivery guy. Who delivery guy work for? Did he work for himself? Or was he actually like an independent contractor from Amazon? You may have noticed, like Jeff Bezos. Like without Amazon, how do you get through the pandemic? Question. Without the people who, um, who provide the internet, you know, very rich people, how exactly did, did, did all those workers get supported throughout the... Who pays for the taxes? In the United States, the rich do not pay their fair share of taxes. They pay way more than their fair share of taxes. And so Bernie, because he believes that good stuff just magically appears, ignoring the fact that capitalism actually produces new goods, services, innovation, technological growth, instead of just, he, he can't acknowledge that. So instead, that stuff just magically appears as a precondition to society. Quote, it becomes clear that the time is long overdue for us to do away with billionaires, which by the way, sounds an awful lot like killing the gulags, end a winner-take-all system based on greed, corruption, and rampant self-interest, and move toward a system motivated by compassion, cooperation, and our common interest. Now, this has become, it's going to become another theme that I'll get to in just a moment. The theme for Bernie is that policies don't matter. Intent matters, which is about as evil a government policy as I can imagine. He says that this isn't about creating a rigid system that discourages creativity and innovation. There's nothing wrong with a business or an entrepreneur making a profit. That, as we'll see, is just a, a throwaway. That is literally the only throwaway he has in pretty much the entire book about the good of capital. He's like, there's nothing wrong with you making a profit. We just have to seize it. And also, we have to crush your business. And we also have to make sure that you don't actually get to run your business, even though he's never run a business. Dude's never run a popsicle stand. Like the only business he ever ran made crappy educational videos about Eugene V. Debs. I'm not kidding you. Back in the 1970s in Vermont. 
He says there is something profoundly wrong, however, when massive corporations controlled by the wealthiest people on earth lie, cheat, bribe, and steal in order to make profits that are funded by the destruction of our lives, our environment, and our democracy. Again, I'd like like a shred of evidence here would be, would be great. And then he says, it's time to end a culture that not only accepts, but actually creates the obscene degree of inequality, injustice, and uncontrollable greed that is so damaging to our nation and world. Again, the idea here is that the natural state of humanity is good and normal. And then we created a culture that loves greed. And thus greed has become the predominant way of life. This, of course, is silly. Greed exists throughout all human time and space. Human beings are very greedy. This is just the way it is. And what capitalism does is it actually says, you don't get to steal your neighbor's money. You have to make a thing and trade it to your neighbor. Capitalism is forced altruism, as I've said before. So this, of course, means that he he never actually considers where wealth comes from. At no point does he say, how is wealth created? That is not anything that he actually considers in this the entirety of this very long and boring book. This this book, by the way, charts out to 293 pages. It's like 10 pages of actual content. He doesn't actually care about where goods come from. He just assumes, he assumes them. There's a famous joke in economics. It originally came from a book from 1970 by a guy named Kenneth Boulding, where he said, there's a story that's been going around about a physicist, a chemist, and an economist who are stranded on a desert island with no implements and a can of food. The physicist and the chemist each devised an ingenious mechanism for getting the can open. The economist said, assume we have a can, a can opener. Because a lot of economics is, is sort of imagining theoreticals, but Bernie actually does that. He just assumes prosperity. Assume prospect. Don't imagine how we got there. Don't think about how we got there. Don't provide any proof how we got there. Just assume it. This leads him to lines like this one. Quote, the pace and direction of technological change cannot be left to the market if there is to be hope for a fair distribution of the benefits of that change. So he has to control how it's distributed, but he also is going to control how it gets funded and how it gets directed, even though he's never created a thing ever. Okay, this, of course, is connected with theme three, billionaires are evil. So the reason billionaires are rich is because they're evil and terrible. Quote, while an exceptionally wealthy few wallow in affluence and become exponentially richer with each passing day, the majority of Americans live lives of quiet desperation. They're not scheming to pay for trips to outer space. Yeah, the billionaires are particularly evil. So they weren't evil until they became billionaires. Like He, he fails also to acknowledge that there is, in fact, income mobility in the United States. There is. Many of us who are in the top 1% did not start off in the top 1%. My family, when I was growing up, was definitely not in the top 1%. I'm now in the top 1%. So was I not evil then, but I'm evil now? Like, how exactly does this work? Well, we'll get to more of Bernie Sanders' terrible book in just one second. First, you know, there are people like Bernie Sanders who would love to keep track of literally everything you do all day long so they can tax the living hell out of you. But what if there was somebody who actually did keep a log of every single thing that you did every minute of the day? That'd be weird and creepy, but that is exactly what happens when you go online. Your internet provider is tracking and logging every single website you've ever visited. They can legally sell that information to anyone. That's why I always use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your internet provider cannot track your online activity. You might be wondering, If I'm rooting all my data through a VPN, can't that VPN log my data instead? And that does in fact happen, but not in the case of ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is the only VPN I trust because they use trusted server technology that makes it impossible for their VPN servers to store data. They even had one of the biggest assurance firms, PricewaterhouseCooper, audit their technology so you know you can trust it. I've been using ExpressVPN for years to protect my own data. You should do exactly the same. Stop letting people keep logs of what you do online. Visit expressvpn.com slash benyt. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash benyt. Get three extra months for free. ExpressVPN.com slash benyt. And listen listen to the, the sort of Leninist ugliness that he directs against people who make money in our country. It really is amazing. Quote, we need to recognize once and for all that for people on top, enough is never enough. How much do they need? The answer is always more. Like heroin addicts, 
oligarchs are never satisfied with what they have. They need a new fix, more and more and more, no matter what the consequences of their greed. I mean, that's probably we should kill them. They sound pretty evil. All they want is more and more and more. Now, in reality, it is Bernie who wants more and more and more of their income because he doesn't produce anything. I can't get over this. He has not produced a single thing of value in his entire stupid life. Not a single thing. Nothing. Zero. Zilch. Nada. But he says that it's the, the, they're greedy. They want more as opposed to Bernie, who is altruistic as all hell from his lake house. Listen to the kind of language. Quote, when a criminal walks into a store and shoots the clerk behind the counter, we make the moral judgment this behavior is socially unacceptable and the gunmen should be punished. Yet when the wealthy and powerful make calculated decisions that are destructive and life-threatening to millions of people or to the planet, we're told it's just business. So he's now equating a business owner making a decision and people participating in the market with a person who shoots a clerk at a store. He says, quote, real politics recognizes that the corporate elite are not nice guys, no matter how much they contribute to charity or how many awards they receive from universities and hospitals to which they've donated buildings. So it doesn't matter. It, you say that, you know, Bill Gates, you know, that guy's the Gates Foundation. He's even on your political side. Like, don't you like him? No, it doesn't matter that he's given a lot of charity. It doesn't matter that he's employed tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people and given them a living. No, they're still bad. Real politics recognizes corporate elites are not nice guys. They're ruthless. Day after day, they sacrifice human life and well-being in order to protect their privilege. I mean, again, this is rather murderous language. They, they literally spend their days figuring out the rich people how to kill you so they can make more money, to kill you, to murder you and steal your wealth. Real politics fights for real choices, says Bernie. Progressives must make it clear there are two sides in this fight. On one side are the wealthy few who will cede nothing to the many. On the other side are the many who must demand what is rightfully theirs. Now, he never actually answers why it's rightfully theirs. I mean, it's a real question. Why, why is somebody else's stuff rightfully yours? Explain. I want to know. Like, what, what, did, what did Bernie do to deserve any of your money? The answer is he doesn't bother. Because again, the billionaires are bad people, which excuses you in actually going and taking their money. Okay, all of this is utopian nonsense, right? So we have three themes so far. One, everything that's bad in the status quo is capitalism. Two, all the good stuff that just magically exists. Three, the billionaires, because they didn't, they didn't create any of the good stuff that's just magically existing. The billionaires are evil and terrible and bad, and probably we should eat them. And four, there are no limitations on dreams, none. And this brings us to what I think is actually the most evil line of the book. And there's a lot in the book that's kind of evil. There's one line in uh, Bernie Sanders' It's Okay to Be Angry About Capitalism that is particularly evil. Okay, quote, the goal of any democratic, moral, and rational system must be to create a society where people are healthy, happy, and able to live long and productive lives. That's not the evil part. Here we go. With the explosion of new technology and productivity that we are experiencing, we now have the capability to provide a good life for every American. Okay, so you can, even in that line, he's assuming that the prosperity just exists, right? Capitalism has nothing to do with it. Free markets, systems, they have nothing to do with it. It just exists. Here's the evil part. Our economic debates should not revolve around questions of resources. They should revolve around questions of intent and will. Ooh. Let me read that last line again. Our economic debates should not revolve around questions of resources. They should revolve around questions of intent and will. To understand how evil that is, here's what you need to understand. Economics has always been about the distribution of scarce resources and how you actually use scarce resources to create plentiful resources, right? Supply and demand is about the distribution of scarce resources. How, is, how are those resources allocated? How do you create incentives with resource allocation that allow people to innovate and create new products and services, right? That's what, that's what policy has always been about. He says we should never think about that. Stop thinking about questions of resources. Instead, 
the only the only way to adjudicate whether a policy is good or bad or whether an economic system is good or bad is the intent and the will. The intent and the will. Men of great intent. That's what matters. That you aspire to greatness and you must have a will to power. That's the only way. In the intent and will, that is the worst way to adjudicate whether a policy is good or not. Who cares about the intent of policymakers? Seriously. What matters is how their policies work as a general rule. And will? So what he means by this, presumably, is if you intend to equalize society, and if you have a strong enough will to do it, society will magically be solved. Everything's great. You had the intent and you had the will. Poof, magic wand. But in reality, what that means is if you have the, you know who had the intent and the will? Stalin. He did. Let's assume the best of intentions from Stalin. He wanted a more equal society in which everybody got their fair share. And he had the will. All he had to do was kill a few million people in a giant famine. And he could, he could get, well, some, I mean, he couldn't really get there, but he could try. Mao, same thing. He had the intent. The intent was that we were going to develop and industrialize. And he had the will. He was able to force all those dumb farmers to melt down their plows into useless lumps of metal and then starve 40 million of them. He had the intent and the will. Any politician who tells you that politics is about intent and will should scare the living hell out of you. And Bernie just says it right out loud. Now, again, this is all part of his broader utopianism, which suggests that um, you can just wave magic wands and magic things happen, right? Quote, $6 trillion. He's talking about Joe Biden's Build Back Better. $6 trillion was a large and unprecedented number. But we were living then and continue to live in an unprecedented moment. And talk about a non sequitur. Like the, the big question about Build Back Better was, how are we going to pay for that? What does it do? And he's like, well, it doesn't matter. It was a big number, but these are big times. What? That's like saying, you know, taking this frying pan and slamming myself six times directly in the face with this frying pan, it'd be an unprecedented thing to do. But these are unprecedented times. Okay. And that's all of his, that's all of the economic proposals. Quote, do we create a new system based on the principle that healthcare is a human right and that every man, woman, and child in this country should, in a cost-effective way, be guaranteed quality and equitable healthcare regardless of economic status? Um, well, I don't know. Do you have a magic wand that would achieve this? Because if so, it sounds great. Also, you don't. And then he, one of the things he proposes in his book is what he calls a jobs guarantee. Literally every single person in the United States will be guaranteed a job by the government. Quote, we can meet all those needs and those that arise in the future if we create a job guarantee that is sufficiently visionary and sufficiently funded. He doesn't actually explain what he means by sufficiently visionary or sufficiently funded because those costs would just blow you out of the water. He says, will a job guarantee cost money? Of course. But failing to invest in our future costs even more. Again, this is another variation on it's an unprecedented moment. So we have to spend an unprecedented amount of money. Will a job guarantee cost money? Yes. Will I say how much? No. But I promise you it'll cost you more if you don't. World's worst con man right here. Con man shows up at your door and he's like, I'm going to sell you this bridge in Brooklyn. How much money is it going to cost? A lot. But you know what? If you miss out on this opportunity, you're going to be just cursing yourself the rest of your life. You could have owned that Brooklyn Bridge. Your failure to invest in the Brooklyn Bridge would have cost you even more. My goodness. He uh, concludes his book, by the way, with a, with a bunch of recommendations on how to uh, fix society. Here's what he says. Quote, make the Constitution relevant to the 21st century. Rethink the United States Senate. Rethink the United States Supreme Court. End all forms of bigotry. End all forms of bigotry. You want to cure cancer while you're at it, dude? End all forms of bigotry. There, there, there are, 
there are a few things here that are that are pretty spectacularly nonsensical when when it comes to his sort of utopianism. Uh, I love this. This particular line really got me. He says, our struggle is to end a system that evaluates worth as a measure of market profitability, a system in which we are asked to believe, based on salaries paid, that the star athlete who helps a billionaire team owner increase his bottom line is worth more than a thousand teachers who help children escape poverty. The American people never approved these brutal trade-offs that insult our values. Um, so a, a few things. First of all, the American people do not have the ability to tell you what you are quote-unquote market worth. But notice how he just conflates human worth with market worth. Now, he's a socialist. He shouldn't do that. As a socialist, he should believe that those are two very different things, that economic value is not the same as spiritual value. I mean, that's something, forget about socialism. As a capitalist, I don't believe that human value equals economic value. I know a lot of people who are not wealthy, who I think have extraordinary human value. I know a lot of people who are wealthy, who I think are kind of garbage people. But Bernie equates the two. And so the idea is, that our struggle is to end a system that evaluates worth as a measure of market profitability. But that's exactly what you're doing. You're evaluating worth as a measure of economic receipt. So you're working within the economic system, are you not? But his idea presumably is that um, he should make the call and I guess all teachers should be paid a million dollars. And that's, again, the comment, that is theme number four here. There are no limitations on your dreams. Utopia is achievable. Theme number five, and this one runs again throughout his book, It's Okay to Be Angry About Capitalism. So he says he's a big de- defender of democracy. He is. Uh, and, and he does this directly in opposition to Donald Trump, right? Donald Trump is the great threat to democracy, says Bernie Socialist Sanders, who loved the USSR back in the day. Quote, it is no small feat that in four short years, Trump annihilated the longstanding leadership of the Republican Party and converted a center-right political organization into a vehicle for right-wing extremism that drew comparisons with European neo-fascist parties. Yes, Donald Trump was basically turning the Republican Party writ large into a neo-fascist party, right? Challenging democracy is bad. He thinks that Donald Trump challenged democracy, and that's really bad, except when he does it, because the entire book talks about how there's no real democracy in the United States. As it turns out, there is no democracy. The system should be overthrown. Quote, we live in a democracy, but they own that democracy. He says we live in a democracy, by the way. There's democracy, scare quotes around the first democracy. We live in a scare quotes democracy, but they own that. So we don't live in a democracy is what you're saying. You know who else was, was saying that? The guy who you say was a fascist. That's who, Bernie. And then he says, true individual freedom cannot exist without economic security and independence. Economic rights are human rights. True individual freedom cannot exist without those rights. Uh, no, that's using rights in two very, very different ways. Hey, typically, when we talk about rights, we talk about the freedom from he is talking about the idea that there are certain preconditions to living, okay? Those preconditions to living are just preconditions to living generally. They apply in communist states, in fascist states, in monarchies, in oligarchies. Those preconditions to living are things like food and water, right? But, But to proclaim those rights is a very different thing than talking about the political rights you have from the government. That's not the same thing at all. Those are necessities. Necessities are not the same things as rights. But again, sloppiness is the, is the hallmark of Bernie Sanders and democratic socialist thinking writ more broadly. But again, the, the bottom line here is that he believes that we don't have those economic rights in the United States. So there are no human rights in the United States. So we live in a democracy without human rights. There, there are a few points in his book where his, his latent hatred for the United States really comes out, like really comes out. And uh, here is one of them, quote, recently, there has been much political and media discussion about the oligarchy surrounding Vladimir Putin, the veteran KGB operative who has emerged as Russia's authoritarian leader. But oligarchy is not a uniquely Russian phenomenon. What about the oligarchs of America? 
What about the perverse and destructive role they play in shaping our society? Why is there no acknowledgement by our political and media elites that there is an American oligarchy every bit as dangerous as the oligarchies we decry in other countries? Uh, maybe because the oligarchies that are allied with Vladimir Putin involve pushing people they don't like out of like seventh story windows and invading foreign countries and legitimately executing their, their dissidents and jailing them. Equating Vladimir Putin with the United States system and the actual Russian oligarchs paid by Vladimir Putin with like Elon Musk is absurd. But again, fine points are not his strong suit. His challenges to democracy are throughout the book, right? Democracy is great, except that he hates it. Quote, the establishment through our political system, our media and our schools perpetuates the mythology. We are a democratic society in which the people are supreme and control the destiny of the nation. Really? Really? So democracy, don't challenge it unless your name is Bernie Sanders. There, there are a few other themes that hold true throughout the book, but I mean, this is a, it's an anti-American book, right? I mean, this is, it's not just an anti quote unquote capitalist book. He never actually critiques capitalism. He just critiques the status quo and blames capitalism for it and assumes all the goods in American society are the results of magic. But he, he wants to, the main theme of the book, uh, under, undergirding all of this, is that he is going to activate a new generation via the systems of power. He's going to create an entire new generation of apparatchiks who agree with him. It, it is kind of amazing what he says about the educational system in, in his book, Bernie Sanders. So, for example, he says, for education to get focused on the real needs and real possibilities for students in the 21st century, we have to break out of the mentality that considers our elementary and secondary schools merely training grounds for workers. So you're not supposed to have a skill set that leads you to be employable. No, that's not what education is really about, says Bernie. Really, what education is about is indoctrinating you into a left-wing worldview. He quotes a, um, a scholar about Finland, quote saying, Lee began by explaining her view that for progressives the world over, education must be a focus, not just in and of itself, but as part of a broader struggle to create a freer and more equal society. Education is not about gaining a skill set. Education is about remaking an entire generation. Quote, curriculums are organized so children can examine complex societal problems like climate change in all of their classes, as well as in clubs and after school activities. Think about that. Students being taught about problems and then being taught they can solve them. So we have to turn our educational systems not into skills inculcation, but into bizarre indoctrination factories. I mean, the book is pretty frightening, is the truth. That's filled with bad political analysis. Like he claims that Joe Biden's failure to, to pass Build Back Better is the reason why he's suffering in the polls. That's ob obviously untrue. It was the Afghanistan debacle that drove Joe Biden into the 40s. His analysis of the squad, where he just talks up the squad endlessly, which is, of course, ridiculous. He tells a bunch of lies in there. Like there, There's one lie in particular where he suggests that half of all the personal bankruptcies in the country are connected to unpaid medical bills, which, of course, is wildly unproven. It turns out that among the many, many things that people don't pay when they go bankrupt, there are medical bills. That doesn't mean the medical bills are what drove the bankruptcy. That's fact-checked by the Washington Post. Or he says things like, countries around the world have been surpassing the United States when it comes to life expectancy. And that, of course, ignores the, the fact that the United States has a far higher rate of injury death. And that because of that, that creates a, a life expectancy gap. There's an article in uh, JAMA, the Journal of American Medical Association, back in 2016, pointing out that if you actually get rid of things like injury deaths, that that closes the mortality gap in the United States with other countries pretty quickly. But, you know, truth is not Bernie Sanders' strong suit. It's just not his strong suit. I, I do have to end my analysis of, uh, of Bernie Sanders' not very good book 
with a couple of quotes that are just crazy towns because this really shows who he is. And Bernie Sanders really is the guy who questions why we need so many brands of deodorants on our shelves. Why can't there just be two? He really is the guy who thinks that bread lines are good because at the end of them, you get bread. That's who Bernie Sanders is. And the fact that this guy has become a mainstream political voice in the United States right now demonstrates how stupid we are politically. My favorite line from the book, I have to conclude with this because it really is spectacular. Quote, over the past 40 years, the ruling class in the United States has gone to war against organized labor. And as part of that war, they've eviscerated the entire concept of class and class consciousness in the country. Okay, so put to the side the fact that that in and of itself is crazy. The United States has never had a solid class conflict because unlike the countries of Europe, there was never an entrenched class system. In Britain, there was an entrenched class system. You were a lord or you were a commoner. In the United States, that never applied. This goes all the way back to Alexis de Tocqueville. Okay, but here's the great part. Quote, we regard it as normal, for example, that corporate media and big business encourage us to identify with the New England Patriots, the Chicago Bulls, or the Los Angeles Dodgers. We are not encouraged, however, to root for our class. That's a weird statement. So he's saying that the bought and paid for corporate media are the ones who are encouraging you to be a Yankees fan. And if they really were not bought and paid for, they would be encouraging you to be a bourgeois fan or a or a impoverished class fan. What the hell is he talking about? But, you know, crazy old moon yelling at Sky is, in fact, one of his things. It is apparently the charm of the man. Unfortunately, this career useless person has now become, as I say, a major voice in American society. So the truth is there's not that much more to Bernie Sanders' not very good book. And I hope that he makes a bundle off of it using the mechanisms of capitalism. And then he can try to explain to all of his fans why exactly he has a lake house and why he's charging 95 bucks a seat for his public appearances, for it's okay to be angry about capitalism. Suffice it to say, there ain't much there. There ain't much there. And you should remember this when it comes time for your Democrat socialist friends to explain to you the genius of Bernie Sanders. Not only is Bernie Sanders not a genius, he barely has two neurons to rub together. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 